Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast brought to you by the Del Norte County Office of Education and Del Norte Unified School District. I'm Jeff Harris, the superintendent. And in the time it takes us to kind of sit and have a cup of coffee with a friend, we're going to discuss some things that are of interest to our community and really impact our schools. So joining me today, I have Ryan Botten, uh, the Director of Information Technology Services, or something along those lines. Perfect. All right. Close. <laughs> and Leslie Machado, our Director of Curriculum and Instruction. Hers is a much easier title. Yes, thank you very much. Hello. <laughs> and, you know, today, um, thank you both for kind of taking some time out. But what we really want to talk about is a follow-up to the webinar that we did this past Wednesday talking about state assessments and what parents can really expect this year and what the takeaway is going to be. So just in kind of a way of review uh, for folks out there who may not really understand California assessments, you're not alone. Um, California was known between 20, uh, basically between 2000 and 2010 of having some of the worst assessment history in the country. Um, while the assessments themselves were high quality for a decade, California changed how they weighted different content areas. They changed which content areas were assessed. They changed how they applied those two different grade levels, which grade levels were assessed. And, uh, there was a time probably close to 2008, 2009, when what was going around was, uh, that California was the only state in the country that did not have the same assessment data from year to year. So we were always measuring apples to oranges. Um, then, oh, what what year was it that CASP scores came out? Or CASP tests came out? Was it 2014 15? was a pilot year, I believe. Yes. And then 1415, I think, was the first legitimate year. Basically, between 2000 and 2010, we had gone through CAT tests, we had gone through CSTBs, we had gone through basic skills tests, we had gone through CSTs, um, just a variety of tests. And so there was a small hiatus in the early 20-teens, um, and then with the advent of a new round of standards and a new sort of assessment, which is a... Um, uh, Basically, it's an adaptive assessment. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it's an adaptive assessment that really kind of takes a look at what can students do uh, on on a deeper level. The first the first batch of tests or the tests that I think a lot of our parents were used to when they were in school was really more of a pick A, B, C, or D. And we would have kids who would make Christmas tree designs. We had kids, you know, there was stuff about always pick C. There was a school district down in Los Angeles. Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the school district. Um, but, um, oh, Miramonte. And they actually patented a type of test taking preparation and they called it the Miramonte method. And they taught kids how to game the test by eliminating, you know, eliminating answers that were obviously not true. Um, you know, trying to get some very basic pieces. Um, and the new the, the, the CASP test, which is the California Assessment of Student Performance and Progress, uh, which you may also hear is the SBAC or the, um, what does that stand for? The 
Um, Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium. Consortium. And and so there is no such thing as an SBAC test. The SBAC, the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, is a group of states that said they were going to use this particular assessment. And so that assessment is for us the CASP. So um, uh, just know that as we talk about test scores, when we talk about test scores today, they're very different test scores than they were five years ago and very different test scores than they were five years before that. So um, long way around of kind of having the conversation about where we are now, because last year was the first year since, again, the early to early 20 teens that there hasn't actually been a statewide test. And that they postponed because they were changing standards. This one, we just didn't have kids in school. So, yeah, yeah, it was just yeah, you know, May, you know what March, right? COVID March, hit, and yeah. you know we better stop take testing, and so that's that's what happened last year. So, so this year has not been a cakewalk, Ryan. I mean, <laughs> well, not for me, not for you, not for anybody in this room, at least. Yeah. Well, and and for our kids and our parents, I mean, you know, our teachers have tried as much as they can seeing kids twice a week in person, and then doing some asynchronous work. Um, asynchronous for everybody on Friday, except for a little bit of interaction in the morning. But um, coming into this spring, Leslie is the director of curriculum and instruction. Where was your mind coming at with having to give the CASP test um, when kids really hadn't been in a room full time in over a year? Well, I think up until December or January, our fingers were crossed that they, the federal government was just going to say again, hey, most of our school kids aren't in person at all. They're all remote learning. We're going to just wave it again this year. And then um, I think it, it dropped like, nope, we're not we're not going to be issuing that waiver. There will be state assessments. And so from that point on, it was like, okay, we've got to really wrap our mind around because the, this type of testing, as Mr. Harris has alluded to, is, is different. It's not paper pencil. It's done on the computer and the platform, especially for, you know, third and fourth graders, well, fourth graders for sure. And third grade, fourth grade didn't see it last year. So it's their first time having access to the platform. So uh, we had to make some decisions about how much time do we want to spend of the limited instructional time that we have with kids in person really teaching them the platform and how to access and to show what they know. Um, and then for our remote learners, you know, there was a whole remote aspect of, of this. They, they've, um, they had video proctoring in there and there was a, a communication widget uh, that students and teachers could communicate with one another. And it was a lot of training. And we started that in, in March, we'd said, Hey, we're going to do it. We're going to give a practice test. Let's get going. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then, but Ryan, I mean, when you guys were gearing up too, when Leslie, when you were talking about the platform, talking about what that looks like, Ryan, what were we anticipating parents were going to have to do? Well, yeah, the to to take the CASP test, it requires what's known as a secure browser. It's an application that has to be you know installed on the device, whether that's a a Chromebook or an iPad or a Windows or a Mac Mac machine, um, which we we do on a year to year basis. We make sure Mm -hmm. that all of our devices, you know, inside of our walls have those that application, that secure browser. Well, for those students testing at home on a personal device, there's limitations. You know, we were going to have to be asking. Um, our parents to, you know, in, go to a website, you know, the, the CASP website, you know, navigate to a location and install that application, that secure browser, just so that they could take the test that, again, those third and fourth graders had never even seen. So 
And know? that could be a scary thing for families. I mean, why am I downloading this? Is the state exactly. now going to have access to my computer? To you know exactly. And there was all kinds of caveats and limitations. You know, wasn't going to work on a personally owned Chromebook, and it gets into a bunch of well. And they had to have cameras on the whole time that they were testing. Yeah, and again, not only is the platform in and of itself a little can be, I think, overwhelming, but they're adding this entire video layer to it. You know, and they were. Like a lot of us were, I think, you know, kind of building that on the fly. Right. So definitely some some technical concerns. You know, I think Leslie, in my mind, definitely immediately jumps to, well, we're going to have to do this. Let's let's figure that out. Let's get that structure piece sorted. Um, And it pretty quickly realized that's a lot to kind of make sure we were going to be able to be successful and our students would be in a position to be successful. Well, and not just a lot to do that, but just time wise. I mean, how how long did. In, in a regular classroom environment that's a controlled environment that's designed and set up around these sort of annual things, um, how much time does it take to give a typical CASP test, Leslie? So in a typical year, it takes about four hours for English language arts and about four hours for math. And then for grades, um, and that's for all grades third through eighth that take the ELA in math and uh, 11th grade. And then we also have the CAST, which is the California science test. That's given in grades five, eight, and once in high school. And our high school students take that in 11th grade as well. But as of, uh, we, because we didn't give it last year, our 11th and 12th graders are required to take it this year. And that's another one to two hours of assessment. Yeah. And normally that's spread out over, you know, again, normal year, right? That's spread out over, you know, multiple days, even multiple weeks, right? Because you're not going to sit down and do eight hours of testing, but, you know, keep in mind trying to think about the structure of fitting that, that eight to 10 hours maybe of testing when students are in, you know, school now only two days a week. And of those two days, those are shortened days. It it quickly became, you know, (laughs) and then think about what it looks like if you're, if you're a caregiver at home, a a mom, dad, family member, and you're having to use a secure browser that you've never used before. And now you're having to figure out how to do 10 hours worth of assessments over the course of a few weeks with all of the different requirements around that. Right. Very challenging. Pretty crazy. And it eats up a lot of the, I mean, in a typical year, you know, you have your kiddos all day for five days a week. And so it's it's cumbersome at that point. But when you're when you've only are in person for two days a week, a, a limited amount of time, that's a lot of instructional minutes that that are gone. Oh, yeah. You'd be spending basically the month of May testing and yep. that would be it. Yeah. So fortunately, though, that's not where we landed. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> So um, I think what our families are, are hearing, and they heard Wednesday in the webinar, and, and again, hopefully they can pick this up today if they have any other questions. What does it look like now? Because I know it's changed on the technical side for you, Ryan, quite considerably, and Leslie on the time commitment and on the, the format of the test. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we could jump into it, right? Like we're for third through eighth grade, um, the, the federal government allowed states to request waivers. You right. know, a very variety of waivers. The California requested some and some were approved. And one of those was that you could use an alternative local assessment as opposed to the CASP test, um, which is great because we were able to use an alternative local assessment. Uh, we're using a tool called iReady and um, very beneficial. I mean, from a technical perspective, you know, right off the bat, doesn't require any special uh, secure browser application. It's a browser. It's just a regular, you know, you open a Chrome tab browser based login, much simpler for students to log in, much simpler for teachers to support. Um, so technically, 
really hands off for the IT department. Um, you know, logins are just automated and people can start testing. It's also much, much shorter. How much shorter, well, Leslie? Or? Yeah. So it's going to be the recommended time for ELA and math each individually is about 45 minutes. But in talking to teachers today and in, in, in the, we have some teachers that have been piloting it, it's closer to an hour to an hour and a half per. So about three hours would probably be safe to say. But again, really easy access, right? So, I mean, how are we pushing out like those links? Are we getting them? Are they in, are they in Canvas, they in Google Classroom, are they in Seesaw? Where, where, where is that showing up, Ryan? So there's another tool. I think we've probably talked about it throughout the year. It's called Clever. And it's just kind of a single sign-on jumping off platform um, to get to a lot of resources, really. Um, and so teachers and students both log into what's called the clever portal and from there there's just a big button that says i ready alongside buttons that may say google or or seesaw it's how our students are already used to getting to other third-party tools and so um you know that clever platform integrates with our student information system so again it's as simple as a one click once you get to the clever dashboard the clever portal and most of our students and teachers are pretty familiar with that already we just basically added the i ready icon so i mean so it sounds like in a lot of ways, this is not going to feel like a 10 hour assessment that's wrapped around adaptive tests and performance tasks and science and English and, you know, maybe maybe battling a um, uh, a reluctance in a child to, to log on and take a test. Right. right. I mean, I tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't our high school still doing CASP? Absolutely. So 11th and 12th graders will still be taking CASP and the CAST, the science portion. Right. So ELA, math, and science. And and the reason for that is um, they if they place well uh, in ELA uh, for CASP, uh, when they go in to go to college and they have placement tests, if they mark the box uh, when they took the CASP, but yes, you can share your information with colleges, it'll take the place of a placement test for college. So we want to give our 11th graders every opportunity. We don't want to hinder them in any way. So I think it's a great decision that our um, high school principals uh, made that decision that they're going to go forward with that because it impacts them differently. Yeah, no, I think that's good. But you know what it does do, though, is it, it brings up the idea idea around why are we testing, right? Because I, I think early in my career, somebody described what, what are called formative assessments. So those are assessments or tests or quizzes or questions that teachers ask in a classroom or, or you know, that the, that the district provides that actually helped me as a teacher teach better. And, and a formative assessment can be literally anything from what a teacher is doing in a classroom to a paper pencil test or to something on a computer. Um, but then there's also the summative assessment. So those are the tests that you take at the end. That's the chapter test. That's the, you know, whatever else you call that at the end of the day. And I, I had somebody who explained it to me once that a formative assessment was the equivalent of going to the doctor because you didn't feel well and having the doctor find those underlying problems and help you get better. Um, the summative assessment was roughly the equivalent of an autopsy, right? At that point, there's nothing more we can do to help you improve. So um, the CASP in, in a lot of ways is a summative assessment. I mean, at the end of a year, it says, given everything that a child learned during the year, how they were on this one particular assessment window, how they interacted with this one specific platform, this is their score. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not, um, 
it's not a piece of data that teachers are receiving immediately. Um, there's no time for them to act on it. In fact, I got an email a couple of days ago that said, hey, you know, we usually get your scores out to you in August or September, but this year for CASP, I expect that it's going to be a little longer because we really want to test the relevancy and see how valid our scores are. So it's going to be pushed back even later. Uh, but with iReady, when they take it, as soon as a student's done, we'll as the student is taking it, the teacher can be sitting there monitoring it and they're going to get immediate results. Well, and I think now, and when we, when we think about what I already looks like, that is, let's say a child took it today, that teacher still has six weeks to work with that child to address deficiencies, to address issues that the kid was struggling with, right? Yeah, not just the teacher, but I think the parents, right? I know we've right just because the, the the immediacy of those results, right? With with CASP results again, like like Leslie said, we don't get those until best case, you know, school's already started, right. August, September. You know, a fourth grader's already into a fifth grade class. That fourth grade teacher, you know, that may help inform maybe, you know, did a group of my students really miss a core concept, right? So I might be able to fix that for this year's fourth graders, but it's it's kind of you've missed that opportunity, that window, right? We have that opportunity now using the I results, you know, and teachers can share those results with parents. And we have all these summer programs and where's that learning loss and where do we focus our efforts? I think it's going to help inform now. Um, and we talked about it on the webinar. I think that's just an important thing to bring up, just having some immediate results. Well, and so I think the cool part about it is by the end of this month, every student who is required to will have taken this assessment right? We'll have that data immediately. So teachers can actually start, you know, going back and kind of addressing that stuff as, as students look at moving to the next grade level, Ryan, like you were talking about, you know, Leslie, you've kind of been putting together the summer school program. We're looking at 60, give or take summer school sessions that teachers can now look at their students' results and utilize to help build those proficiencies as students go into the next grade next year. Um, and so, you know, I think just long term, this is a, a good example of a summative or of a formative assessment that can also be used as a summative with summative data. And Ryan, your department, basically, you're going to go through and you're just going to kind of upload these scores and send them to the state just like the state posts the CASP scores, right? basically the same sort of things. Yeah, basically, uh, Leslie's laughing because <laughs> the state, this is one of those, you know, eh, we're going to figure this out. Um we have we we've talked about it before the California State Dashboard. You know, normally that's where all of our data for everything goes every year, right? right. Well, we're not using you know CASP scores automatically go there, right? We're not using CASP, so they're not going to go to the dashboard. The state's still requiring us to submit our local assessment results, so we know we're going to have to. And I'm going to do that as soon as the state <laughs> tells us what that method is, right? So we're still going to have to report. This is going to be reported to the school board. It's going to be reported in public. Parents are going to have access to see their, their child's results. Just like with CAS, we just don't know what that mechanism is going to be right now, yet today, because it hasn't been announced by the CDE. Right. Waiting on the template. <laughs> yeah, there'll, there'll be a template. I'm, I'm looking forward to that template. <laughs> I'm sure you are. The, the almighty template. Um, well, so, you know, I think the thing that's kind of interesting, too, is we've had some teachers that have been piloting this online tool because I read is not just a diagnostic assessment, um, but it's also a com it has a companion intervention piece. So right now we're just doing the diagnostic. But tell us a little bit about what that's looked like. Uh, Leslie, you and I were just talking before this um, about what some teachers are already seeing, how it's being able to support some students. Um, 
because I know that that's going to be a conversation that the district is going to be having over the next couple of months about do we bring on this system for at least the next three years to address student learning loss and acceleration. Right. So it's an it's actionable, immediate action. So uh, once a student takes it, that, unlike I said, that you know teachers can be watching them as they're taking it. If they're rushing, it alerts the teacher. Once they have the results, uh, the next time the student logs into iReady, let's say they finish the reading portion of it, it says, hey, third grade student, uh, we noticed that you were low in a reading domain as phonics. Um, and it will have, it's called an uh a personalized instructional path built by iReady based on the, di- the the diagnostic assessment. So the student will go in, um, should only be about 15 or 20 minutes a day, uh, work on whatever it is that iReady has based on the, the on the results. The student does it. The teacher's looking at it. If the student's struggling with it, the teacher will be alerted that, hey, and it's an orange alert, uh, student's struggling here. If they continue struggling, it's a red and it blocks the student and the teacher is immediately notified and that this student needs uh, intervention. And, and here's some activities that you can do with your student hands-on, um, but the student is not able to access that anymore until the teacher intervenes. So here's a question I have. That's that's I think that's great in the classroom. Are parents going to be able to see this data too? Hmm. Do you know? I mean, I don't and, know. And here again, and and I'm just bringing it up because it's new, right? We yeah. haven't really utilized it. Our teachers haven't utilized it utilized it wholesale. And um and Ryan, I mean, the students will still have their devices at home next year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're going to check them all back in in June and check them all back out in August. Uh, so so even if parents don't have access to their students' data, mm-hmm. they potentially could still ask their child what they're working on and they could even see it yeah. if, if the student was working on it at home. I know I already put a lot of effort and time into creating the parent connection portion of it. Mm-hmm. Um and I, we have not looked into that as much as we should now we, because we were just piloting it. We were oh, just yeah. seeing what it was. And um, uh, we've had an hour of training, I think, on it, on how to get the diagnostic and then have kiddos get in there and, and try it out. So I know there's a whole family connection piece to it. No, so that's great. You know, I think those are just things to look forward to. No, nobody can ever implement everything the first go around. And, mm-hmm. and this year has been new in so, so, so many ways. And, you know, I think as we kind of look forward at the next three and we think about how we can shift the use of assessments from, again, the autopsy to the checkup and how we can, we still need to get students comfortable, I think, with the CASP, you know, the, the whole browser, the different thing, you know, access pieces they have along with that. But really, I think this this idea of a diagnostic assessment that's given multiple times during the year that is given to all students. Um, and I think right now we're looking first through eighth grade. We Kindergarten through eighth grade, it's open right now. So okay. it's optional for our K-2 teachers um, because they're not required to take a state assessment, but it's absolutely open and optional. Yeah. And when we did some some training as we were onboarding this, we we, went, we made sure to include our K-2 teachers, you know, because it's all hands on deck this right. year. We got great feedback immediately after the training was over. I got a couple of K-2 teachers reach out and say, hey, I know I just got trained. I didn't wasn't going to get access, but can I have access, you know, right now to see what this is like? So and we made that happen. And I would just say for any student um, who's going to be taking this diagnostic at home, because we have six weeks left of school, uh, I know from being a parent, it's hard to watch your kids struggle. Um, And so I would just ask that much like a vision test, and we talked about this in the webinar, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't supply uh, 
your 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 child with the answers because they get the wrong prescription of glasses. This is the same thing. It's a diagnostic. It's diagnosing where your student is, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and if and if it's not accurate, it's going to be diff- difficult for a teacher then to try to intervene and get them what they need um, before the end of the year. So if let them struggle uh, and know that this assessment is different. It, it, they expect that 50% of the questions kids are not going to be able to answer and about 50% they will. And that's where how it's finding where their actual level is. It's going to, if they get an answer correct, it's going to, it's going to level up and then it's going to keep leveling up until they get something wrong. It's going to go down incrementally a little bit till they find out right where they are. So about 50% of the questions um, they're not going to get correct. And that's different than what you would expect on a summative. If a teacher is teaching a unit and at the end of the unit, they give the summative assessment, uh, they would expect that their kids would get it all because they've, they've taught it all. This is really trying to diagnose and find out exactly where a student is in ELA and math. So a little bit different purpose, a little bit different format. But I think, too, it, this can also be intimidating to a family if they've mm-hmm. never done anything like this before, which I, honestly, I'll, I'll just say I don't think most of our families have done anything <laughs> no. like this before. But but if families are really intimidated, if they don't feel comfortable doing this at home, because it's hard to see your child struggle. It's hard to um, maybe provide a quiet place for them to test to really show what they know. Um, they They can still contact their school and have their child test at school. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all of our site administrators, all of our principals and teachers have been more than accommodating for that. You know, we want to see the kids. And even if that, you know, even if your student's currently on 100% distance learning, which we still have quite a few right. um, there, reach out to your, to, your, to your site principal and your teacher and arrangements can absolutely be made to make that, you know, safe, secure, um, you know, a one-on-one cleaning room, whatever needs to happen, we can support. Well, thank you both. We're kind of at the end of our time. Um, spent the first part of the podcast really kind of talking about CASP, moved that into what we're doing with iReady. Um, if I was a family member, I would not expect iReady to be the assessment next year. Again, we'll probably go back to CASP, but you may continue to see iReady utilized in our district depending on um, kind of the results, the reception, and the benefit that it gives to our teachers and our students over the next 12 months. So, um, Leslie, Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. And we hope everybody has a healthy, happy, and safe weekend. 